0: Chapter 6 of Serapion by Francis Stevens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Serapion, Chapter 6 The Power of a Name. Speed. In outer space, there is room for it and necessity. Between our sun and the nearest star, where one may grow warm again, there is a space that a light ray needs centuries to cross. The cold is cruel, and a wind blows there more biting than the winds of earth. Little cold stars rush by like far-separated lamps on a country road, and double meteors, twin blazing eyes, swing down through the long black reaches. It is hard to avoid these when they sweep so close and one's hands are numb on the steering-wheel. But one can't slow for that, nor can even for a frightened voice at one's elbow, pleading, protesting, begging for the slowness that will let the cold overtake and annihilate us. "'The cold!' I shouted against the wind. "'Cold!' "'Well, if you're cold!' wailed the harassed voice. "'Why don't you slow down? Clay! Clayton Barber!' I'll never ride again in a car with you, Clayton, if you don't slow down!" Another pair of twin meteors rushed curving toward us. We avoided them, kept our course by the fraction of a safe margin, and as we did so the limitless vistas of interstellar space seemed to close in sharply and solidify. Infinite shrank to finite with the jolt of a collision. And it was almost a real one. I swung to the left and barely avoided the tail of a farmer's wagon, ambling sedately along the road ahead of us. Then I not only slowed, but stopped, while the wagon creaked prosaically by. I sat at the wheel of a motor-car, my own car, and that was Roberta Whittingfield beside me. Sixty miles an hour!' she was saying indignantly. "'You haven't touched the siren once, and you are sitting so that I can't get at it, It's very fortunate that Mother didn't come. She would never let me ride with you again. I said nothing. Desperately I was trying to adjust the unadjustable. This road was real. The numbness and chill were passing, and the air of a summer night blew warm on my cheek. That wild rush of the spirit through space was already fading into place as a dream memory. But there had been some kind of an hiatus in realities. My last definite memory was of Alicia Moore. Alicia, upright, rebellious, crying out a name. Serapion! Clay! A note of concern had replaced Roberta's indignation. Why do you sit there so still? Answer me! Are you ill? What is the matter? Nothing. That was a lie, of course— but instinctive as self-protection. I must get straight somehow, but I wouldn't confide the need even to Roberta. In the most ordinary tone I apologized for my reckless driving, and started the car again. We were on a familiar road outside the city, but one that would take us by roundabout ways to our home in the suburbs. I drove slowly, for it was very necessary that Roberta should talk. By listening, I might be able to get straight without betraying myself, and indeed, before we reached home, I had a fairly clear idea of what had happened in the blank interim. A first wild surmise that the Moore episode had been a dream in its entirety was banished almost at once. As nearly as I could gather, without direct questioning, from the time I reeled back against the wall until my return to self-consciousness some sixty minutes later, I had behaved so normally in outward appearance that not even Roberta had seen a difference. My body had evidently not fallen to the floor, nor showed any signs of fainting or swoon. Alicia seemed to have returned to her senses at the same time that I lost mine, for Roberta spoke of her hostess's quiet air of indifference that amounted almost to scorn for the concern that we, Bert and I, mind you, expressed for her. Moore, for his part it seemed, had recovered his temper and been rather apologetic, and anxious that I, at least, should repeat my visit. I had been noncommittal on the subject, for which Roberta now commended me, and then we had come away together. After that, the hallucination I had suffered, of myself as a disembodied entity, careering from one planetary system to another, had synchronized with an actual career in the car, where road-lamps simulated stars and occasional motors traveling in the opposite direction provided the stimuli for my dream meteors. A man hypnotized might have done what I did, and as successfully. To myself, then, I said that I had been hypnotized. That, in a manner yet to be explained, Either Moore or his wife had hypnotized me and allowed me to leave their house under that influence. I tried to determine what reckoning I should have with them later. But it was a failure. I was frankly scared. An hour had been jerked bodily out of my conscious life. If, in the ordinary and orthodox manner, I had lain insensible through that hour, it wouldn't have mattered so much. Instead of that and I that was not I appeared to have taken charge of my affairs, and in such a manner that a person very near and dear to me had perceived nothing wrong. It was that which frightened me. As the last traces of daze and shock released my mind, the instinct to keep its lapse a secret only grew stronger. Fortunately I found concealment easy. Speeding was not so far from my occasional habit that Roberta had thought much of that part of the episode. Her vigorous protest had been largely on account of my failure to use the siren. Dropping that subject with her usual quick good-nature, she talked of our remarkable first experience with a real medium, and disclosed the fact, not surprising, perhaps, that she had been considerably less impressed than I. In retrospect, she blamed her own nerves for most of the excitement. "'I may be unfair, Clay,' she confided, "'but truly I can't help believing that Mrs. Moore is just a clever, hysterical woman who has deluded poor Mr. Moore into a faith in spirit voices.' "'The black hand? The little flames? Did we really see them? Don't you think the woman may have some kind of hypnotic power, like... Oh, like the mango trick that everybody's heard they do in India. You know, a tree grows right up out of the ground while you watch. But it doesn't really, of course. You're hypnotized and only think you see it. Couldn't everything we saw and heard to-night have been a—a a kind of hypnotic trick? And, now, with all the screaming and fuss she had made, Mrs. Moore was so calm and cool when we left— I think it was all put on, and the rest was hypnotism. "'You're a very clever little girl, Bobby,' I commended, and meant it. If there was one thing I wished to believe, it was that Alicia Moore had faked. We knew nearly as little about hypnotism as we did of psychic phenomena, real or so-called. But the word had a good sound to me. I had been hypnotized. Hypnotized! that fifth presence in the room had existed only in my own overborne imagination. The whole affair was—' "'Bertie,' I said, "'we've been through a highly unpleasant experience, and it's my fault. Nils warned me against those people, but I was stubborn mule enough to believe I wished to know more of them. I don't, and we don't, you and I. The truth is, girlie, I feel pretty foolish over the whole business.' had no right to take you to such a place. Downright dangerous. Queer, irresponsible people like that. Say, do you mind not telling Cathy, for instance?" "'If you won't tell Mother!' She giggled. I could picture myself relating that weird and unconventional tale to the stately St. Sicilian. Up went my right hand. "'Hear me swear.' I, Clayton S. Barber, do solemnly vow silence. Full name, or it isn't legal, trilled the girl beside me. Oh, very well. I, Clayton Serapian Barber, do—I stopped with a tightening of the throat. As the word Serapian passed my lips, the fifth presence had shut down close about me. Out of space, time wrapped away in cloudy envelopes of oblivion. Clayton! A clear young voice out of the clouds. They shriveled to nothing, and I was loose to my world again. Why, Clayton! repeated Roberta. How did that woman know your middle name? My right hand dropped to the wheel, and the car leaped forward. Did you tell her? insisted Roberta. No, I answered shortly. Burquist told more, I suppose. How do I know? Someone must have told her, Bert agreed. It isn't as if it were an ordinary name that she might have hit on by guesswork. Oh, it isn't so unusual. There have been sir... There have been men of that name in my mother's family for generations. I was given the name in remembrance of my mother's brother. He died only a few months before I was born, and she had cared a lot for him. But don't let us talk of the name any more. I always hated it. Sounds silly, like a girl's name. I—I—oh, forget the name. Here we are at home, and there's your mother in the window looking for us. We're awfully late. Tell her the Moors were very interesting people," I suggested grimly. That night, though I slept, Alicia Moore and the Fifth Presence, in various unpleasant shapes, haunted me through some exceedingly restless hours. End of chapter 6